This podcast is sponsored by ebookit.com, self-publishing solutions for the independent author and small press. Visit us today at ebookit.com. Welcome to the Toastmasters podcast, the official podcast of Toastmasters International. Hello, everybody. This is Greg Gazin. Remember that a person's name is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language. For those of you who know Dale Carnegie, that is a classic quote from his book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Now, while Carnegie was writing about the importance of addressing a person by his or her name when speaking with them, it also brings to mind the topic of today's conversation, honoring the person by pronouncing their name properly. So today we're going to be talking about names, and our guest today is an expert in that field. Fiona Sweelin Price, PhD, is a cross-cultural communication specialist and award-winning keynote speaker, and has been working in the intercultural field for over 20 years. She's founded Globalized Consulting, formerly Tamago Consulting, in 2001, after completing her PhD in cross-cultural psychology. Since then, she has developed and presented training programs and lectures on cultural diversity issues in Australia, India, New Zealand, and the U.S. Her publications in the field include the 2007 Success with Asian Names and the 2015 The HarperCollins International Student Survival Guide, for which she was the Australian co-author. She is a member of Williamstown Club in Williamstown, Victoria, Australia. She's written an article in the November 22 issue of the Toastmaster magazine entitled What's in a Name? Subtitled, Knowing How to Pronounce Names Correctly Makes a World of Difference. From Melbourne, Australia, Fiona Price, welcome to the Toastmasters podcast. Thank you, Greg. I'm delighted to be here. It makes sense, Fiona, that we strive to pronounce people's names properly. Now, we are going to be talking about names and, of course, how to get better at pronouncing people's names. But to kick things off, you obviously have a lot of experience in this area. Was there a moment of truth or some event that prompted you to tackle this topic? Absolutely. In my very first job, towards the end of my doctoral research, I had to get myself a casual job because I was, my grant was running out. I was asked to come up with initiatives to help the staff at Melbourne University, not just the teaching staff, but people at customer service desks, people in the libraries and so on, to help them communicate with international students better. In order to find out what their needs were, I went out and I interviewed probably 50 or 60 university staff members, and I asked them, tell me about what you need help with when you're working with international students. And something just kept on coming up. You know what we really, really struggle with? It's their names. We can't pronounce them. We can't remember them. We have to give them a call and we look at their name in writing and we have no idea how to say it. We have to enter their names into databases that are designed for Anglo-Saxon names and we don't know which bit to put where, which bit's the surname, which bit's the given name. Do they even have surnames and given names in this language? So at first, when I first started hearing that, that wasn't what I was expecting. I was expecting people to talk about racism. I was expecting to people to talk about language barriers. I was expecting people to talk about all sorts of more obviously relevant things. But the names thing kept on coming up until a point where I thought, I've been dismissing this as a minor issue, but it's not. It's a major issue. If every time you address someone, every time you send them an email, every time you print off a certificate or a name tag, you need to get their name correct on it. And if you don't, and if you consistently get people whose names aren't Anglo-Saxon wrong, 
it's not a good look for the university and it's not very good for either the staff member or the student whose name you're getting wrong. It sounds like that item was not even close. It wasn't even on the radar. No. Eventually, I started to come around to the idea that this is important. In fact, I've been interviewing 50 or 60 staff and pretty much 90% plus were flagging it as one of their major day-to-day challenges. And I thought, well, look, my market has spoken. I'm going to have to develop something to help support people with the use of multicultural names. So that was really my moment, my moment of truth. My epiphany was they need help with this. They are really struggling. What can I do to help them? And I came up with the idea, well, how about I develop a little training program? I'd been running training programs in my job. How about I develop a training program specifically focused on the sort of names they need to work with every day? So I went down to the School of Graduate Studies and I said, can you give me the top 10 countries from which we have international student enrollments? And in Australia, that tends to be mostly Asian countries. And then I sat down and started researching a workshop, which I eventually titled Working with Asian Names. Wow. It almost seems like in a database, you need a section that's a note section where it says, this is how to pronounce the name or maybe have it phonetically or something. I'm working on one of those as well. That's actually what my staff member's about, helping me develop a gigantic database, which gives people the name, a phonetic transcription of the name, a recording of the name with a native speaker accent, recording of the name in a neutral Australian accent, all of these things so that other people can draw on that when they need to pronounce someone's name correctly. When my co-host Ryan and I were reviewing the article and, and having a look at what we were going to talk about for this particular episode, he had shared with me a personal anecdote, which is related to the podcast because we interviewed a guest whom he already knew. And he had assumed that he had his name right because he knew individuals that had exactly the same family name. This is after the introduction, but during the conversation, the individual mentioned his own name and Ryan had realized that he had said it wrong. So of course, Ryan corrected midway during the interview. And the interesting thing is, is that the individual never really made reference to it. He didn't mention the fact, this is how I pronounce my name. It's incorrect. After the fact, we had a little chat about it. We had a little laugh, but it didn't seem to be a big deal for him. Now, If getting it right is really important, if that's what you're telling us, and I do agree with you, how do you politely convince an individual it's really a good idea to make a correction? Sometimes I might be hesitant. This is one of the reasons why I needed to help the staff. I had some anguished members of staff saying, look, he's been coming to my desk for the last three years and I've been pronouncing his name wrong the whole time. And he never said. I only found out when I had a staff member who spoke the same language as him who explained that I'd been pronouncing it incorrectly. Why didn't he say? And I think there's a lot of interesting power dynamics going on about why people don't say. One is simply, it gets to be too much trouble. If you have to correct every time your name gets said in a day, that's often many, many times, you have to actually step in and correct people. Then there's the power dynamic of who is it that's getting your name wrong? When you're a university student, and you're perhaps in your late teens and your early 20s, and you're working with university staff who are 5, 10, 20, 30 years older than you, it can be quite uncomfortable. It can feel quite disrespectful telling them, actually, you may be you may be my professor and you may be 60 and wearing a suit, but you're actually pronouncing my name wrong. It's actually quite a difficult thing to do. People feel uncomfortable. They're quite happy to let it slide rather than risk alienating someone who's quite powerful and who's older than them and so on. If you're an immigrant, 
often the same thing. You want to sit, fit into the new society. And if you're constantly flagging something that makes you stick out as perhaps not someone who was born and raised in that society, who has a name, a language that's not spoken widely in that society, that kind of gets in the way of you feeling like you're wanting to be part of this country, you're wanting to connect with people. Often it's people are, are tired of correcting people. It's, it's uncomfortable having to correct people. You get a bit tired of it. You just, it's easier just to let it go. There could be a power issue with the person who you're correcting. You might be comfortable correcting a child, pronouncing your name wrong, but perhaps not a fellow adult. There's, there's lots of things going on there. And often people sort of cut to the chase by saying, look, rather than having to go through this uncomfortable process of do I correct them, do I let it slide, I can just adopt a name that they're comfortable with and then it ceases to be a social obstacle for me to negotiate. I found in one of my Toastmasters clubs, we had a gentleman who had a very simple name and we'll just call him John White. At meetings, he'd introduce himself and he would say, hi, my name is John and I have a job. So instead of introducing himself with his full name, he would just give his first name. At first, that would sort of get a chuckle from people. But after a while, other people started saying that. So instead of introducing themselves with their full name and their job title or, or what they do, that became a norm, which also became a little bit of a problem when you had multiple people with the same name. And mm -hmm. when we asked the individual why he was doing that, he basically just said, well, you know, we do the same thing every week and it's, it's just too formal. What would you suggest in that particular situation? Well, I think there is something to be said for efficiency and comfort and ease of you know, making your life easier for yourself. I read out a name at a graduation ceremony a few weeks ago, which was 36 letters long. It was a Sri Lankan name. And I read it out at his graduation ceremony. And he punched the air when I got to the end of it because I think no one had ever got to the end of it in Australia before. If he was trying to sit there and every person who ever used that 36-letter surname and he had to coach them and take them through how to say it, honestly, the poor man would never get anything done. He'd spend his whole day doing name pronunciation coaching. Now, I do that, but I get paid for it. He's not getting paid for it. I'm assuming that he just shortened his name just to make life easier. I mean, life is full of stresses. If your name, which gets used so often, is one of those sources of stress, it's very tempting to find an easy way to just remove that from your plate. You have one less thing to deal with. And that's a burden which people have a name which is familiar to the people in the society where they live don't have. They don't have to think about it. People use their name and it's something which is easy and they just take for granted is quite easy. They're not conscious necessarily that there are people out there for whom their name is a constant struggle, taking up time and energy for them. Yeah, fair enough. In this particular case, I think some of us maybe thought he was just being flippant. We had a chat with this at the executive meeting level mm. and we thought, well, perhaps if people were pronouncing their names and people would get to know those individuals in the room. And yeah. also, if it was a name that people might have a challenge, by an individual pronouncing their name, you get to hear exactly the way it's pronounced. One of the things I'm often saying to people is that it's great now that people are getting more conscious of the need to do better with culturally diverse names, names from languages you're not familiar with. But I also think that the expectations have gone up, but the support has not. I think there needs to be more acknowledgement of the fact that it is a difficult task. And even if you've heard the person pronounce it exactly as it's meant to be pronounced, it's not necessarily easy to mimic exactly what they've said or to lock it into your memory so that you can say it the next time you see them. So one of the things that perhaps is helpful in Toastmasters meetings, especially if you're putting up little sort of name tags, you know when you prop the name tag up, on name cards, whatever you call them, putting a phonetic transcription underneath that so when people can look across the room and they can see how your name's pronounced. And that has not only the effect of on the spot, they're able to 
read pronunciation of from the card, it also makes it easier for them to connect what they're hearing and what they need to say to how it's written in the original spelling. During the long Melbourne lockdown, we had a Vietnamese-Australian Toastmasters member in my club whose name was Phuong, Vietnamese name, P-H-U-O-N-G. When she had her name in that box in Zoom, everyone was stammering and stuttering and getting worried they were going to offend her. And I basically sent her a private message suggesting that she put in brackets after her name, F-E-R-N-G. Now, in Australian English, although not in most versions of North American English, that actually is pronounced Fern. So after that, people called her Fern and ceased to be a problem. There wasn't that sort of little anxious sort of stuttering and murmuring and avoiding calling her for table topics because they didn't know how to pronounce her name correctly. And it just sort of wiped out the problem. So that's a way of removing the problem without forcing people to come up with a compromise, to come up with an easier version of their name. It taught them how to say a good rendition of her actual name. So is it better to try and fail to pronounce someone's name or better to try avoid using the name until you feel confident that you've got it correct? In an ideal world, the best thing to do, of course, is say, excuse me, I'm sorry, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce your name. Could you give me some tips? Just ask ask the person for a bit of help and if they can give you some help. But also, don't put the pressure on yourself. You've heard it once. Now you're supposed to remember it. It's probably a good idea to make some little notes for yourself. I stepped in because we're on Zoom and it was easy. Gave her some tips, how she could do it. But one of the things that um, you could do is if when someone gives you their name, to write it down and then say it. I say, so Fern, and if they say, yes, that's correct, write that down in a spelling that makes sense to you to help you remember how to pronounce it. Otherwise, you're putting pressure on yourself to remember a name that's unfamiliar to you, that's pronunciation, which perhaps you've never had to make before. You're putting pressure on yourself to remember that the next time you see her, and the chances are it won't stick. It's often people who are anxious but really mean well and they want to get people's names right often find they still don't manage it because it's a linguistic skill which they don't have. I find that sometimes people will trip up on names that they're unfamiliar with, even if they are pronounced exactly the way they're spelled. Yes. Often that's unfamiliarity. It's nervousness. Yes, absolutely. I mean, there are names which are actually quite simple. I have a Chinese friend whose name is Caillou, which sounds that exist in English. They're not hard to say, Caillou. If you want to pronounce it properly in Chinese, it's Caillou. But Caillou is a perfectly reasonable rendition for an English speaker, but people were stumbling and struggling because they knew it was a a name that wasn't from English, it was a name that was from Chinese. And I think they had a mental block. They were convinced it was difficult and they were going to say it wrong, and this all made it more difficult for them to pronounce it. And he eventually gave up on it and started calling himself Simon. We had a, a Toastmaster member that had a silent Z in the name, and that would basically throw everybody off. Basically, what she would say is just forget the Z's there, or she would spell it without the Z and so people would get it right. There's various options people do to take that sort of constant little nagging pressure of people struggling with their name. They can re-spell it to make it more logical for the locals. They can adopt themselves a name which the locals are familiar with. They can persist with the original spelling of their name and just accept that they're going to have to keep on coaching and reminding people and that people may forget to all struggle. Sometimes you're at an event or at a function where someone is reading out names. And you'll find sometimes that they'll give the first name and then they'll say, okay, I'm not even going to try the last name. Do you think that most people would appreciate an effort to get their name right, even if they get it wrong? Or do you think they're just better off just passing it right by? I think the ideal solution is to contact somebody who can help take you through the pronunciation of the name 
before the ceremony so that you can say it better on the day. That's exactly what I do. I actually help presenters at ceremonies, people who are MCs, people who are reading out names at a convocational graduation ceremony. I coach them on how to say the name so that they don't have to have that problem on the night or on the day when they're having to read the name out. If you actually get a name sprung on you randomly, you usually would get at least a chance a few minutes before the ceremony to have a look at it. Try If it's a particularly long name, try and break it down. The difficulties with long names, often the long names, nothing in those long names is particularly difficult. It's just that it's so long, your brain is jamming up. It's just too much foreign language coming in at once. It's just cutting it up into sort of two or three syllable portions and reading them as, as if they're two or three syllable words instead is surprisingly effective in convincing the mind of an English speaker to say a long name more easily. Fiona, you touched upon a couple of things that people can do to try to pronounce the names right. What are some of the other strategies that people can use to be able to better pronounce people's names? One of the most important things when you're finding a name difficult or you look at a name and you're, you're not sure how to say it is you've got to hear the name or find a way of figuring out how the name's pronounced. So getting the person to say it, finding someone who speaks the language the name comes from to say it for you, going online and searching for the pronunciation of it. But once you've heard it, Remember that you're not necessarily going to be able to lock that sound into your mind. Finding a way to have record the name and its pronunciation in some way. If the person's there and you know that that name's going to be difficult for you, whip out your phone, put it on record and get record them saying their name. That way you can actually practice it behind the scenes without having to ask them three, four, five times until you're too embarrassed to ask again for help with their name. That's one of the reasons why People who do the polite thing and ask for help get to the point where they still can't pronounce it and they just start to dodge it because they're too embarrassed to keep on asking for help. So get a recording of the name. If you have a recording, then you can take it away behind the scenes and transcribe it yourself with the Vietnamese Australian member of uh, my Toastmasters club. If you had phone and you wrote it down for yourself in a way that made more sense to you, it would be much easier to remember. You've helped to lock it into your memory. Um, with the very, very long one, if you have, like I said, if you cut it up into shorter portions and just read it as a series of short words rather than one very long one that's intimidating, that can also help you pronounce it. It's like a phone number. It's easy to remember if you have spaces or hyphens or dashes in between them. Exactly. One of the things that you can do if you've got a company and you've got a website or you've got staff profiles is have a little recording of their name that you can press next to the name when it appears on the website. I think on LinkedIn, you can now do that. You can record your name and upload it to your LinkedIn profile. So that way, before someone calls you, they can press that button and then write their own kind of transcription of the name, and then they can address you correctly when they give you a call. Tell us a little bit more about the training session that you did with your Toastmasters Club to help with pronunciations. Well, my Toastmasters Club has quite a multicultural membership. Um, we have members who are from ultimately from India, migrants from India. We have someone who's German. We have a couple of people from Latin America. We had at that stage someone Chinese and a couple of the people who are often on the committee. One of them has an Italian name and one of them has a Maltese name. And because of this, whenever I'm sitting there in a Toastmasters meeting, I'm often sitting there wincing quietly to myself because I know lots of people's names are being mispronounced. And eventually I thought, hang on a minute, this is my job. Let me take charge here and try and help out my club members. So I went away and I created an educational to run in my Toastmasters meeting and it ended up being probably a 10, 15 minute educational, quite a long one. 
And I went and I double checked. I checked in with all the members and I sort of checked in to make sure I wasn't teaching anyone to pronounce it wrongly. I went through member by member, everyone with difficult names, and I coached everyone on how to say it. I put it up on a PowerPoint slide with a phonetic spelling and I coached everybody on how to say the names correctly. That's phenomenal. Is there a recording of that somewhere that we could listen to? There isn't, but I have to say, I mean, a little thought came to mind, which is that there's probably a need for this in many, many Toastmasters clubs. I could go from club to club giving this presentation. I can just get the names of the club members and do the same thing for other clubs. You know, we're talking about names and, and I think I, I've read that for the longest time, it wasn't uncommon for people to adopt a, an English or an Anglophone name. And I still remember going into a bank and talking to a client services rep. She had her name badge on her shirt, but she also mm-hmm. had a second badge on her desk. So one of them said Mandeep and the other one said Mandy. And I asked her why she had two badges. And she said, depending on the group that I'm talking to. In Canada, there seems to be a trend towards claiming back an individual's traditional or their ancestral names, mm-hmm. particularly in the Indigenous community. And I'm mm-hmm. just wondering, are you seeing this type of trend globally? I'm certainly seeing more people now are deciding not to adopt an English name or a Western name when they move to an English-speaking country. Partly, I think, this is an acknowledgement that in English-speaking societies, it is considered important. It's an important part of showing someone respect to use their name correctly in the way that the person wants. One of the things I saw a lot when I was working with university staff is that a lot of students who've come from a country where there's a more sort of recognition of respecting the social order. You must be respectful to someone who is older or in a more senior position than you and not correcting them about anything is part of that. So there are a lot of the international students, say, from China, from India, from Indonesia, would be very reluctant to correct people. But I think once they come to Australia and they start to understand that respect works differently here, it's not considered disrespectful to tell your teacher that your teacher is actually pronouncing your name wrong. There's more recognition. And there's also just an understanding that actually by their standards, they're not treating me with respect. I think it's about time I demanded a bit more respect and started using my own name. One or two people that I know that used to use an English name of some sort have now reverted to using their original name. And they've also started coaching people to say it rather than just accepting that it's going to be mispronounced. Yeah. Of course, when you're doing it, you have to do it in a polite way when you're correcting someone, right? That's also difficult to do when English isn't, if you're doing it in an English speaking environment, how to correct someone in a polite and respectful way is actually not that easy. Learning how to correct someone when you're not speaking a second language is is quite a difficult exercise. I speak French and Chinese, and I remember things like when I was trying to call a waiter when I was in France and and they weren't coming, I thought, I don't know how to get get her attention in a polite way. I I mean, I, I can get her attention, but I don't know whether I'm going to be doing it appropriately in a way which is kind of not condescending or rude because I'm not quite sure. My, I don't understand the nuances of French enough. And the same is true. If you're a native speaker of Vietnamese or Indonesian or something and you're in an English-speaking environment, someone's getting your name wrong, it's not just a matter of the fact that you have to correct them. It's also how do you do it? How do you interrupt someone politely and say politely, excuse me, sorry, I'm just letting you know my name's actually pronounced like this. That's a more difficult task socially than people realize. Yeah, that's true. I wasn't thinking of it in that context. I was thinking yeah. of it more along the lines of it. I still have this memory of a fellow I used to work with. And if yeah. somebody called him John, he'd go, it's Jonathan. And he would be mm-hmm. really adamant about it, almost to the point of being rude. 
And even yeah. though he had only met that person for the first time, but because so yeah. often he would be called John or Johnny, he just like, Jonathan. And that's the way he spoke. I suppose that's partly because he's so sick of it. And the person who's met him for the first time has no context. They don't understand that he's had this all his life and he's had enough. They think, oh, what an unpleasant man. <laughs> I remember noticing once when I was reading out names at a graduation ceremony, there was someone whose name was spelled S-A-R-A. And I thought, Whoa, with no H on the end, let me take a stab and say it's probably Sarah. And as I, I read her name out as Sarah, and as she walked past me, she said, Sarah. I thought, oh. I thought, oh. I thought that's a little unfair because there's no real way to know how to pronounce her name but from how it's spelled. Sarah and Sarah can be spelled, both can be spelled with an H or no H. And I thought, well, I, I can't actually read your mind. If you, if you feel that strongly about it, you need to inform the university so that I pronounce your name the way you want. And I was talking about this afterwards to some of the staff, and they said, look, I'm not very sympathetic, said one of the staff members. She said, uh, look, think about all those international students who don't have English names and how often their names are mispronounced. She's just getting a little taste of something that other people are experiencing every day of their lives while they're here. That's very true. Mm -hmm. That's why they need to practice at Toastmasters. <laughs> they do. Uh, speaking of Toastmasters, how did you find your way into Toastmasters? Um, well, I moved into a new area and I thought to myself, how can I make some connections with local people? And I was thinking about how. And one of the things that I do, I've always done a lot of in my business is public speaking. So I got my start by running training programs about names and other programs as well about cross-cultural communication. And I thought, how about some sort of public speaking kind of club? And I knew because my mother's older brother, my uncle, um, was quite a leading light in a Toastmasters club in Penang in Malaysia. And I thought about it and I thought, look, Uncle George does Toastmasters. Let me go and check it out. And I had no idea what it was, but I went along and I was quite inspired. One of the reasons why I joined Toastmasters is partly because ultimately my dream was always to be a writer. And while in a sense there's an overlap between the sort of storytelling I do when running a training program and doing writing, when you're doing public speaking for work, you have to talk about work-related things. Whereas at Toastmasters, it was kind of open slather. I could talk about anything I liked. And it became a kind of performance creative writing. It also taught me one of the things which is always something I struggled with in my training programs. It taught me how to do things concisely and tightly. It really honed my ability to construct something which was an engaging story for my audience. So I got lots and lots of practice at it. Obviously, you're extremely passionate about names. <laughs> I've become that way by default because I work with them all the time. So answering the question, what's in a name? We have just barely scratched the surface. So Fiona, are there any final words of wisdom you'd like to offer our audience in terms of helping them get the names right? I think something which I've seen increasingly is a lot of commentary about the importance of getting names right, especially culturally diverse names, as a way of showing respect to the people whose names are being said. One of the things I'd like to add to that as a little side note is that don't assume that the reason why people aren't getting names right or aren't using names or are trying to avoid them is necessarily because of their attitudes. It's not necessarily because they don't want to get it right. It's often because they're anxious. It's because they're intimidated. And it's reasonable to be anxious and intimidated by pronouncing a name from a language you don't speak. We need to acknowledge that it genuinely is difficult. It's not just about if you've got a positive, non-discriminatory and respectful attitude, you will magically get the linguistic skills and knowledge that you need to pronounce someone's name correctly. 
it takes quite a lot of linguistic skill. You need to be able to hear a sound that's not familiar to you, lock it into your memory, and then reproduce it every time you see that person. And it's not that easy. We need to put in some structures, some processes to help people lock those names into memory, to help familiarize them with the sort of names that they see if those names are not familiar to them. Um, We need to acknowledge that it's difficult to pronounce names from languages that you don't speak and help people, to teach people rather than tell them they need to get names right and then leave it up to them. People don't necessarily know what to do to help themselves find it easier to pronounce and remember difficult names. So that's probably my one of the keys to my work is rather than judging people for not being able to get names correct, it's helping people to do so. This has been extremely enlightening. I've certainly learned a lot about our conversation. If someone is interested in learning a little bit more about what you do or how to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, I have a newly created, revamped website where they're welcome to have a look at the sort of activities that I do in the names department. So my website is at globalize.net.au, and that's globalize spelt with an I-S-E in the UK or Australian spelling. And I've got a summary there in my new website about my multicultural names offerings. So there's pronunciation coaching. I provide audio recordings of myself uh, reading out a list of names, the list of names you have to read out so I can send the recording to the person who has to say those names so they can use that to practice from. I also do phonetic transcription where they give me the list of names and I transcribe them phonetically for a native speaker of English so that you can read the phonetic version, which is spelled in a way which is closely connected to how you expect it to be pronounced. The other thing which I've been doing more and more of lately is I've been doing the reading myself. If you haven't already done so, please check out Fiona's article, What's in a Name? Knowing how to pronounce names correctly makes a world of difference in the November 22 issue of the Toastmaster magazine. Fiona Sweelin-Price, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Thanks very much, Greg, for having me on the show. Isn't it about time you publish that book you've been thinking about? We can help with that. At ebookit.com, we've been providing authors and small presses with ebook publishing services since 2010. Visit us today at ebookit.com and let us know how we can help you.